joining us right now is somebody who uh, I've appreciated from afar, and now that I'm working with him on a somewhat regular basis over there at Masson uh, on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, gotten to know him a lot better, respect him a great deal. It's Mel Anton, and Mel, how are you? Stan, that's quite an introduction. I thought you said, oh, I've got to know him. I wish I had. <laughs> no, that's correct. Hi, Thank yeah. you for that. Now, we we have fun. We have fun on the, on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Yeah, so we don't know. We don't always agree on things, but we can uh, debate things civilly, unlike Craig Heist and I. You know. Yeah, uh, Craig, yeah, Craig's a little more difficult. I can see that, no question about that. Yeah. You and I are respectful, and just get the ideas out and let the, let the listeners decide. But Craig's a little harder. I understand that. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah, all right. Craig, I'm just kidding. I know that, Mel. <laughs> Let's. Uh, <laughs> How you doing, pal? <laughs> doing well. Uh, let me ask you a question real quick, and that's i got to do... Uh, and, and I know Stan has a lot of Oriole questions for you, but f- from the Nationals' point of view, we were just mentioning that opening day uh, pitching matchup, and you, you look at Scherzer yesterday in his final tune-up. He strikes out 12. He gave up three runs over seven innings, but, uh, you know, he hasn't had the best of springs. The is in the mid-fours, but I think a lot of that was just kind of working on things and, and kind of fine-tuning the – the repertoire, if you will, and uh, if you think about what he's done over the past, do you see? And at 34 now, uh, are are you waiting to see maybe a little bit of a decline or not? Yeah, it could happen. I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for a 34 year old pitcher to have a step back a little bit, but he's been so good for so long, and even a, a step back of some degree. <laughs> For him, it's still pretty good. Yeah, he'd still be one of the best pitchers in the league. But, yeah, I mean, you can make the case that he's going to be good for the next three or four years, but if he takes a step back, it wouldn't be be that surprising because it doesn't matter how good you are, age catches up with you. Uh, Just news out of the uh, New York Mets camp. Uh, I mean, it's not grave news or anything like this, but six pretty well-known veteran players – have been told they are not making the Mets. Carlos Gomez, Adani Echeverria, thank you for the pronunciation lessons, uh, Craig, Raja Davis, Hector Santiago, Ryan O'Rourke, and Devin Mesoraco. Raja. Rajay Davis. Yeah, you got Devin, <laughs> did I do Devin Mesoraco? Yes, okay. you did. You're right, right there. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's yeah. a nice chunk of uh, baseball experience, told that uh, they are not going to make the team. Mel? Yeah, they they're a little bit of you know you got they've, they've got experienced players and they've got young players. They're doing a little bit of both. They're trying to build. They're trying to contend with a with a team that blends young and old. But all those guys, I think, you can make the case that everybody on the Mets roster is better. I mean, they've got young guys at first base. Uh, they've got a good young shortstop. Uh, I, 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 I none of those none of those guys. Uh, being left off the roster shocked me. No, doesn't shock me. But I would assume that a, a Danny Echeverria will get a job somewhere. He's an awfully good glove. Well, you would think so. You know, we talked about that um, on Masson. That boy, you know, if, when the Orioles were starting their off season, if you need a strong defensive shortstop, Echeverria would be a good way to go. He doesn't hit all that well, but given that the Orioles are a rebuilding team. A defensive shortstop is a good is is um, is a good idea. The Orioles have defensive shortstop, just not Hetzavaria, but I think he's going to get picked up somewhere. I think he's getting to the point in his career, though, 
where he's going to be more of a utility player than anything because he doesn't hit all that well. So I remember that was about five or six weeks ago, just as spring training was starting, when we signed Alcides Escobar to a minor league contract. It was $750,000, and I remember saying at the time, well, I really wish they had gotten Echeverria, but Echeverria's deal was $3 million. How does that work when a guy gets cut like that? It's understood in the contract. What is the, the, the sort of the, the standard <laughs> buyout in those, Mel? I don't know what the standard buyout is at. That's, that's a good comparison. That's an, interesting, uh, that's an interesting parallel, but I don't know the background and what happened with that or why that would be. But Echeverria is a very strong defensive player, and I guess people thought that, that, uh, that you know, he, that he, he's much better than uh, Escobar at that case. I mean, the market is so hard to predict and, and hard to judge. I don't really know why, Stan. I can't answer that. Uh, we're not asked this question an awful lot, and, it, and we've been asked it this morning. We've been posed the question about what the Orioles could possibly do with uh, number 19 over at first base. He's, I think, 4 for 28 down in uh, spring training, struck out 15 times. Uh, it looks like more of the same right now. Now, normally, if you weren't basing it on the last three years, you'd say, ah, those are just spring training numbers. As soon as the bell rings or the regular season, we'll get, we'll get back to what he really is. What if he really is just this bad now, Mel? <laughs> um, what do you think the club's options are surrounding Chris? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know because – I would think if it, if the contract were a little less, it's what ninety two million now at this point. Yeah, uh, they would just release him and eat it. But boy, I've never seen a team eat a ninety million dollar uh, contract. Uh, I think eating the, if 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 Chris Davis plays in the first two months like he played all of last year and at the beginning of spring training, uh, ideally it would be say it would be time to say it's 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 time to let him go, but. I don't know how that contract affects Orioles management, what they're thinking about that, because that's an awful lot of money. From a baseball standpoint, and I'm sure you guys agree with me, it would be the right thing to do if Chris Davis doesn't perform. But, boy, that money thing, I, I can't think of any precedent. That Didn't, the Phillies, would... didn't the Phillies take, I mean, it probably wasn't 91, but the Phillies probably owed Ryan Howard probably 60, 60 million yeah. when they let him go. That's a good point. That, it, that might be the... Here's my positive spin on it, on what it would do for the team. Unless Chris says, I mean, and again, we're talking, this is not going to happen next week or in th two or three weeks, but if it's June and we're at the same loggerheads with his performance and the development of the team, wouldn't you think that the discussions with the lawyers would be something like this, Mel? Hey, this just isn't working out. Uh, we we know we owe you the ninety one million dollars. What about if we work work with you in figuring out how to pay this over the re you know twenty years or something like that? Where all of a sudden the Orioles are paying the Davis family four million a year instead of twenty million dollars a year. It actually could in a in a weird way. Don't get me wrong. They still would owe him the money. It would still be a dead contract but it would allow maybe some more flexibility on the major league roster as yeah. this rebuild moves forward. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think that would work. 
I don't know if Chris Davis would be interested in that, but that's some way that if he indeed looks as bad as he's looked by the end of June, uh, that would be um, that would be something that would gain Chris Davis a certain amount of credibility or integrity. But if he continues to do this, in a re- you know, it's it's one thing when a team is trying to contend and your first baseman is not hitting and you're struggling. That's one thing, but it's another thing when you're trying to rebuild. You around, especially if you're not hitting, uh, maybe a contract, you know, figuring out new ways to pay the contract would be the way to go, but it, it's it's a it's a tough call. I don't know which way they're going to go, but Do I you, think to answer your question, I think that would be a legitimate, uh, that, that could be a possibility. Do you What's see any, do you see any way that he gets turned around to the point where he's productive again? And I, I'm not talking about, we've seen him go you know, 53 homers, 47 homers, that kind of thing. But just to be... We're talking about like 18 and we're, 50 You know, now. we're talking about 18 to 20 home runs and, you know, where he can be a, a, a positive force in this lineup. Um, yeah, I see that. But it feels like he is so stressed out and so, um, so tense, so trying to prove himself, I think it's going to be hard to do. Obviously, 40 to 50 home runs is probably out of the question. But 15 to 18, you know, Mike Elias has tried a lot of different things as far as uh, analytics and all kinds of data information and what he's swinging at, what he isn't swinging at. He hasn't been seeing the ball very well, according to Dave Johnson, our, uh, yeah. our uh, colleague on Masson. Uh, yes, I suppose it could happen, but I think the number one thing that's got to happen before any of that can take place is the fact that he has to clear his head. I can't imagine what's going through his mind. But, yeah, I mean, it might be the case that he leaves the Orioles and goes someplace else and it's 18 to 20 home runs. I, I just can't imagine how tightly wound he is and how concerned he is about it because, you know, well, Chris, nobody feels worse than Chris Davis. Well, I write for, for Press Box, and I wrote about two years ago that the thing seemed to me to be the equivalent, the offensive equivalent. We don't have many cases that we can point to. But and Craig brought it up today. It reminds us of like Steve Sachs when he couldn't throw the ball to to first base. Chuck Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch or Steve Blass or Rick Ankale couldn't find home plate. It's yeah. all between the ears, and yet I don't hear. And I and I'm not saying I need to hear this, but do you think they've exhausted the idea of hey maybe if you sat down with a sports psychologist to just talk about it and work through the stress, it seemed like they did that a little bit last year when they had him take eight or nine days off and work with Brady Anderson. It seemed a little like that, but it wasn't still uh, dealing with what I think is the root cause of this. It's something psychological. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure they've thought about that. I'm sure they've talked about that. Uh, I think it's a legitimate uh, avenue to, to go down. Um, you know, I think Chris came into spring training feeling good about what he had done in the off season to uh, to tackle the problem, but so far it hasn't worked. And and who knows what's going to happen when the season kicks in? And maybe he, maybe he, you know, maybe he, maybe he turns it around. But it it sure doesn't look like that's going to happen now. And you think back to that, what was it? Twenty seventeen took seventy five called third strikes. Yeah, yeah, he, unbelievable. He, he, not seeing the ball, not swinging the ball. Even if he just swings at strikes, that seems like that would be a good thing to do. 
Uh, we're about a week away now, five days actually, from the start of the season. Uh, throughout spring training, what's one of the more intriguing things you're looking at for 2019 here? Oh, I think uh, I think uh, the most intriguing story, one of the most intriguing stories is how people are starting to pick the Minnesota Twins to beat the Cleveland Indians. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, they've added about 90 home runs to their offense, the Twins, with Jonathan Scope, C.J. Crone, and Nelson Cruz. Whether they're going to hit them or not, I don't know. But they've added a lot to their offense. They're both kind of strong. Their defense is way above average, particularly up the middle now that they've added scope at second. To me, that's an interesting story because Cleveland is automatically, everybody's thinking they're going to win the American League Central because of their starting staff. But Cleveland lost virtually half of their lineup. Their bullpen is a lot weaker. I think if there was ever a team that was due for a regression, it's uh, it's it's the Indians. But I think, I think the Twins in another week or so are going to be a very trendy pick. I see Sports Illustrated just pick them to win now. And I think that's I think that's interesting because because of how good Cleveland's been in the last four or five years. Mel, what do you make? And I'm asking this partly because my fantasy baseball draft is tomorrow. Uh, Francisco Lindor. It's been announced that he's neither he or uh, Kipnis is going to play opening day. But what do you make of the kind of injury he had? It seems like all systems are go, but that is an injury that is kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah, it's scary. It sounds like he's making good progress from everything I've heard and read. And I think the Indians are playing it safe. It doesn't really matter if he's ready on opening day. They'd rather have him strong, you know, from whenever he's whenever he's ready to, from whenever he comes back to to the end of the season. So I think they're taking their time on it. The injury is is um, it's a t- it's a calf it's a calf muscle. Yeah, it's a calf right? injury. It's a, they keep saying it's a slight strain of the calf. But, boy, it's kept him out a long time. It's caused a lot of headaches. But I would say that I think the Indians are just being overly cautious, realizing that whether he plays in the first two weeks of the season or not isn't going to be that big a deal. They'd rather have him strong for the rest of the season, even if he has to miss 10 days. Now, speaking of the Indians, though, we all know Kluber. We all know Carlos Carrasco. And we all know Trevor Bauer. A lot of us know Mike Clevenger now based on his great success the last season and a half. But this guy Shane Bieber, um, a lot of people are saying he's their best pitching prospect in the organization. He was pretty much lights out the last six, eight weeks of the season, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. He came on very strong. He kind of came out of nowhere. He's got breaking pitches. He's got good poise. He's... um, He's just very strong. I, I'm trying to think. I don't remember what his record was off the top of my head last year, but he did pitch very well. And, um, you know, he developed very, very quickly. And um, he's an awfully good pitcher. Last year, just to give you an idea of what he did last year, he was 11-5 and five with the Indians, so it was longer than I had assumed. Uh, he was 11 and five. He had a 4.55 ERA in 114 innings. He had 118 strikeouts, and his WHIP was 1.33. Yeah, yeah. 114 innings is what he pitched. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see how the Indians go about that. Um, uh, how, go about how many innings they they uh, uh, they extend him. Probably another 30 or 40 innings. So he's he's an awfully good pitcher and. Um, Won 11 games, finished second in strikeouts among the American League and rookies last year. So he's he's the real deal. I mean, the Indians' rotation is very strong. 
and uh, one of the best in baseball. Uh, last year, they had all those 200 strikeout guys, and uh, it could happen again this year. Is the National League East the best division in baseball as you head into this season? Yeah, it is because of their pitching and because of their youth. I mean, uh, everybody's comparing the National League Central and the National League East as far as being the two best divisions in yeah. baseball. But because guys like John Lester and Cole Hamels are 35 and maybe Lester's 34, and because – and and because the Cardinals aren't, the Cardinals are coming off a tough season, and, and the Reds aren't as strong as everybody thinks. I think I think the National League East has got the strongest division, given Atlanta's pitching, Philadelphia's pitching can be strong. We don't know if it's going to be or not, but the Mets and the Nats are pretty hard to argue with. So I think, given age and more prime players, I'll take the National League East. What are you hearing on Gosman and his shoulders uh, situation? Well, not really too much outside of the Braves are being very, very cautious. It's a, you know, they've got Fulton every time the disabled list, and uh, they think that Gosman's going to come back and be strong, but it's it's a little, you know, it's not a good idea. It's good for the for the Braves. Mel, one last question before we let you go, and we do appreciate it. We're talking with Mel Antonin of Masson Sports. Uh, and MassinSports.com, he writes regularly and appears on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report almost a nightly basis. Mel, the New York Yankees, they don't have the the huge name starter, you know, such as Kluber or Chris Sale uh, or, or, you know, Kershaw in his prime, but they have a threesome up top of, pa- of what, Severino, who's, who could be out six, eight, nine weeks. Uh, Severino... Tanaka, uh, Paxton, and Hap. It's a pretty good quartet. That fourth rotation spot, though, they invited CC Sabathia uh, back. Um, I questioned it at the time. He's not going to make opening day. He's going to be on the injured list. Um, how do you think, and I, we all know that they just signed Gio to a minor league contract late last week, uh, but what do you think they do to get by the first month or so of this season with only three healthy starters with Severino and Sabathia. Is Sessa going to be part of the rotation, German and uh, Loisiga? Yeah, those are the guys, Sessa, German. Those guys pitched well at times last year, Sessa and, and German. They, uh, they pitched all right, uh, but they are the insurance policies at this point. Severino, as you said, might not be back till at least May in the earliest. Paxton's had a great spring. Tanaka is indestructible. Mm-hmm. Uh, since Sabathia starts the season on the suspended list, then when he gets back, he's start, you know he's injured, so right. they might not have him back till mid-April, and so they're just going to have to tread water with those two young kids until those guys come back. But even though CC comes back, he's a thirty-one. We just don't know what they're going to get. So they got a bunch of le- soft-tossing lefties when you think about Hap and Sabathia, and then to a certain degree, Paxton. And then if Gio joins the rotation, Gio will give them durability. He's always good for 27. I mean, in like the last six or seven years, the fewest starts he's ever had in a season is 27. He usually gives you 30 or 32 starts, but obviously because he's signed late, he's not going to be able to, to pitch an entire season. But he can help them. As Craig knows and seen him as much as I have and probably more, he can be really good one inning, and then he can be really shaky the next, and then he can be really good the next inning. You just never know what you're going to get with CC Sabathia or with Gil uh, Gonzalez. All right. Mel Anton, we appreciate your being on, and uh, 
Good luck this season. Have a great season on Masson and writing for MassonSports.com. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Mel.